ESPN 97.5 and 92.5 proudly present The Killer Bees. Definitely a fan of The Killer Bees. Don't sweat the technique. Live from the Veritex Community Bank Studios, here comes the fastest three hours in Houston sports radio. Here's Joe Blank and Jeremy Branham. Oh, hell yeah. You about to get all stung up. Ooh, what up, A-Town? Hey, how we doing? He's Blank. I'm Branham. It's Belmer, another killer bee. John Belmer filling in for part-time Joe George, assistant to the regional manager. Acting like a queen, queen bee today. Queen bee. Uh, why is why is Joe George not here today? It's a it's a mystery that needs to be solved. Seven one three seven eight zero three seven seven six. Best answers only throughout the show. He said he Wrong was going to see only. Doc Linville if he could get in, but he was trying to get to the front of the line. I don't know if that's going to work. All right, leader in the clubhouse, yeah. leader in the clubhouse. You can give us your best reasons of why Joe George is not here. Seven one three seven eight zero three seven seven six. This is weird because we're going to talk about the Astros as the Astros are playing baseball. That well, whoops, whoop! They started three oh five. Three oh five. It's weird. It's weird. You thought they were going to the White House on Monday. They're actually filling in for the White House yeah. today. It's gonna be weird because we're talking about yesterday's game as they're playing. Uh, but the Astros yesterday beat Baltimore eight to two. The Astros we know have won the series. They've clinched the series against the Baltimore Orioles. And Blankers, you, you look at this Astros team, and they're kind of known for this. Like, they can flip a switch whenever they want to. And they're showing that they're championship good and that they have a championship pedigree. Look at baseball's four teams that have the most wins in baseball. One of them belongs in the the National League with Atlanta. The other three are all in the American League. Tampa Bay, Texas, Baltimore. What do all of those teams have in common? They've lost home series to the Houston Astros. The Astros went to Atlanta earlier this year, swept them in a three-game series. They followed that up with Tampa Bay the very next series, and they took two of three from the Rays when they were hot and the best team in baseball. They went to Texas a few weeks ago, took three of four. Currently, against the Baltimore Orioles, they've taken at minimum two of three with a chance to sweep Baltimore for the first time since they called up Adley Rushman last year. The Astros, look, they've had some struggles in the regular season. The offense doesn't seem like it's clicking on all cylinders. There was a period of time where you're worrying about the rotation, you know, criticism for some of the guys in the bullpen. They've had, you know, moments and ebbs and flows where every guy in the bullpen has struggled. But the Astros always seem to remind us when they go up against good competition, specifically on the road, that they tell the rest of baseball and send a statement, we still have the championship pedigree and we're still the team to beat. No, I, I thought about this last night watching the game. This was like the, the Gotham City gauntlet a year ago. Like when when push comes to shove and the rubber hits the road and you're playing the best teams in baseball, this team, more times than not, will not only show up, but stand up and tell the world, we ain't going anywhere, and we're here, and we're going to continue to do what we do against the best in baseball. And yeah, we can see it and, and talk about the fact that in the past, the shortcomings of this team was the exact opposite when they played lesser than. This year, they've been really good against Oakland. But in the past, the Orioles, when they've been bad, or the Tigers, when they've been awful, and teams like that, have come into Minute Maid, or they've gone there, and they've gotten their ass handed to them. So the fact that when you see them play every almost every seemingly every time they play the Yankees or when they play the best teams in baseball, as you mentioned, they not only show up, but they deliver. And that's the biggest thing about this team is that you just never question in the big moments that they stand and deliver. And that's why you've got to even be as an Astros fan, more believing and more and have more power of belief in this team that as long as they're healthy, 
They will show up and play against anybody and make it a game. You look at like the Orioles are the new kid on the block, and I'm bullish with the Orioles roster. They're going to be good for a long time. I'm a fan of Mike Elias. I hung out with him once at the U of H baseball park when it was a rain delay and he had nowhere to go, so he was stuck with me. Uh, I talked to him for 15 minutes, picked his brain, and was blown away. And, of course, he was the right-hand man for Jeff Luno during the beginning of the Astros' golden era and helped build that. He's doing the same thing with Baltimore. Baltimore is going to be really good for a really long time, especially if they spend some money. Now, that's the concern with the Angelos family is sometimes they're pretty cheap and they don't like spending money. Uh, we'll see about that. But the Orioles are the new kids on the block. What do the Astros do? They go into Camden Yards and take two of three. The first of those three, they're down by three runs late against one of the best closers in all of baseball, and they rally and hit a grand slam against him. It's like the first ever time that you've seen like a grand slam in that spot. I can't remember the stat that they were saying on the broadcast yesterday. There's it's like a the name golden for slam. It. Yeah, the name for it where it actually wins the game. There's been three. Brian Bogusevic right. was the last one to do it. Yeah, the other one was like in the 70s. I can't remember who it was. But Bogus, yeah. it was it was that dude in the 70s, Bogusevic, and then Kyle Tucker. The, the only three Golden Slams in Astros history. So the Astros go into Camden. They take two of three, at minimum two of three. They beat one of the best closers in baseball when they're down by three runs in the ninth. Again, they know how to flip a switch whenever they need to get it done. The Texas Rangers have been ahead of the Astros all season long. They go into Arlington, take three of four. Tampa Bay at the start of the year was the hottest team maybe ever the Astros take two of three and then the Atlanta Braves are like oh that's the best team we've seen I I saw an article about the Atlanta Braves having the best lineup since like the 1927 New York Yankees what did the Astros do to that lineup they swept them like the Astros might not have the consistency of Atlanta they they don't they they don't have as good a record they don't have the consistency of Atlanta they don't have the consistency of Tampa although Tampa started hot and they kind of fizzled they've had tons of injuries they don't have the consistency of Texas they don't have the consistency of Baltimore but if I'm any of those teams if I'm Tampa in a division series, I don't want to see the Astros. If I'm the Rangers in a league championship series, I don't want to see the Astros. If I'm the Baltimore Orioles in a league championship series, I don't want to see the Astros. If I'm the Atlanta Braves, I don't want to see the Astros. The Astros don't have the best record in baseball. They don't even have the best record in the American League West. But the championship in the World Series title still runs through Houston. But, but Jeremy, when you look at it, the thing is, and just another way to back that up is, this is a team that has struggled, literally struggled with injuries and have to, had to fight through injuries the entire year. Most teams, after you endure just what they endured with their pitching staff alone, let alone with their two best players, at a certain point would have folded up their tents and gone home and realized we don't have the depth. We just can't sustain this for you know, the majority of the season. And yet instead, because of the ball club that we're talking about, You just see next man up mentality across the board. We've talked the fact that sometimes you have an unsung hero. We're talking about five to eight guys that have allowed you to maintain this season. And now you're two games out of first place. You're, you're, you, like you said, you've taken the first games against the best record in the, the first two games against the best record in the American League. And you're letting everybody know, God forbid, if we just stay healthy and get to the playoffs, because you don't want us. Mm-hmm. And like that's, I guess the fear of this is like you go to that switch one too many times, and whenever you need to hit the switch again, it, it doesn't turn on. But look, I trust a guy like Jose Altuve to figure it out. Jose Altuve didn't even have a great postseason last year, but it's the rest of the guys like you were talking about as well. Someone's going to step up. Altuve didn't, but Jeremy Pena did. Jordan Alvarez has proven to be maybe the most clutch player in Houston Astros history. The walk-off homer against Seattle. The opposite field home run in Game 2. The Game 6 World Series that turned that game upside down. Bregman has had moments. Kyle Tucker is looking like one of the best three players in all of the American League. And then you look to the pitching staff. Fromber, look, Fromber's had some 
some struggles recently. He's also threw a no-hitter recently. He was big time for you last year in the playoffs. Justin Verlander didn't have a great postseason last year, has been good in his career in the postseason, and he's Justin Stinkin' Verlander. Javier is a cool customer. We'll get to Christian Javier and his performance last night uh, a little bit later on in the show. But this team figures out ways to win. They might look, and they might not even finish with the best record in the American League West. I, like you, desperately want them to finish with the best record in the American League West because it gives them home foot advantage in the ALDS. You, you're able to escape the American League wild card round, which I want no business of a three game series because it's baseball. Anything can happen. But this is a team that even if they make it as a wild card, I still have confidence that they're going to win a wild card series, that they're going to win a division series, that they're going to win a championship series. I'd rather not you know, tempt fate with the wild card series, but I still have confidence of, with the Astros in the wild card series. Think about the fact that you get the undue pressure of knowing you could be gone in a heartbeat, knowing that there's extra pressure on every play, and then knowing that your team from H-Town comes into that going, we've seen more, way more pressure than this. We've seen and dealt with and... and and persevered a ton more pressure than this, both on the field and off the field. This ain't nothing. We're ready to play baseball. Come get it. And I think that that's where they have a huge leg up on any other team that they face because you think of the rest of the teams in baseball and start naming me teams that have been through something similar, that have been battle-tested enough to say that they've been through that kind of adversity because from the the off-the-field stuff, they haven't. And then from the the on-the-field stuff, you think about the teams over the last couple of years and just think about how many pressure situations. And sure, they all go through some kind of you know high leverage situation or two. But the fact that this team just seems to come through in every single big moment in the postseason, that Seattle series alone was one where you were like, a lot of guys would have just folded up their tents or crumbled going, man, this is too tough. This is amazing. This is unbelievable. But they've never been here before. What do we do? And you press. They, they stay the course, level-headed. And they get the job done. And that's something that you really got to be encouraged about going down the stretch. There's a really good chance the Astros don't finish with the best record in the American League. Uh, I would bet that they don't. There's a 50-50 shot. They don't finish with the best record in the American League West. But who do you trust most in the postseason? Baltimore, Texas, Tampa, Toronto, or Houston? The answer to simply for me is Houston. They, the Astros have the pedigree, and they've proven to have the pedigree even this year. And the one thing where you said there might have been a chink in the armor to say, well, they, you know, from a starting pitching perspective, do you have the guys that are the horses that in big games are going to be step-up kind of big? Well, Javier did it a year ago. Fromber's been step-up big. But then you add a Verlander, and you go, you know what? Here's the guy that solidifies the top part of your rotation, too, as being a guy where no situation is too big for him. You don't know if he's going to perform that, you know, what level he's going to perform at. But, you know, if you give him the baseball, there's a pretty good chance that the, the, the team on the other side of the diamond is going to go, they got Verlander today in, mm-hmm. in a deciding game. That's pretty big. Do you think the Astros still have that championship pedigree? 713-780-ESPN, HRP listener line, 713-780-3776. On Twitch, twitch.tv slash ESPN 97.5. He's at Pac-Man Joel on Twitter. I'm at Jeremy Branham. Lots to get to today. Uh, Houston Texans play a football game today. First time we're going to see C.J. Stroud in a Houston Texans uniform in a real game. Bad take Boulevard as well at 1.30. We'll see what the Will and John Belmer have in store for us. But coming up next, we saw yesterday Christian Javier went five innings and gave up two runs. If you could take five innings, two runs, every single time that Christian Javier starts a game, would you take it? 713-780-3776. Killer Bees on ESPN 97.5 and ESPN 92.5. If you're a business owner, something that you should take and you should want, you should have it in your life, is HRNP. 
HRP owned by Mike Holly, U of H class of 1990. Uh, used to protect a Heisman Trophy winner. Now he wants to protect your business. He's been doing it for nearly 25 years, has uh, a lot of years in the business. HRP provides comprehensive human capital management services, including HR compliance, benefits administration, and payroll. HRP will also work with you to customize a plan for whatever you need. It's not some cookie cutter, off the menu type thing. They're going to work with you to help you in areas that you need help with. There's nothing cookie cutter about HRP. A little bit of help, a lot of help, anything in between. HRP will create a plan for what you and your business needs. Also, their customer service is second to none. There isn't a stranger on the other side of the line. You'll be calling someone that is familiar with you. They're familiar with your company. You'll love that. I can speak to the customer service, too. Anytime I have a question, I always get a quick response that's easy to understand. Let HRP take on the demands of human resources and eliminate your HR burden so you can get back to growing your business. Give them a call at 281-880-6525 and let HRP customize a plan for you. 281-880-6525 or check them out at hrp.net. That's hrp.net. ESPN 97.5 and 92.5. Is it football season yet? Job! I don't want no job. I want to play football, you a- I want some feeling. Come on. All teams covered. No stalking points necessary. You're back with the Killer Bees on 97.5 and 92.5. Live from the Veritex Community Bank Studios. Killer Bees, ESPN 97.5, ESPN 92.5. I uh, forgot to mention Dusty Baker yesterday. Passing Bucky Harris for the seventh most wins all time for a manager in baseball. Sparky Anderson's next on the list. He's going to have a tough time catching him this year. He ain't get it this year, I don't think. they got to get the 101 wins. Yeah, very – I mean, there's a chance, but it's pretty slim. Yep. It's pretty slim. So, it begs the question, will Dusty ever pass Sparky Anderson? Because, I mean, if he manages, yeah, well, next, he, if he manages yeah. next year, he's passing him. If he doesn't, right. he never, never manages again – He's probably not. It's the biggest question of Astros fans that I get all the time, too, is you think Dusty's going to be back? Uh, I mean, a a year ago, I think it was a bigger discussion than it is now. I think that he's loving collecting a check. I think he loves the fact that he has more power than I think that any manager, short of a few, because there's no Belichick's really in baseball the way there is in, in football. He loves the fact that he has the owner's ear, that he seems to have a slight edge up on even the general manager when he wants to do or not do something. And he's, you know, he said before he came back because it was a hell of a check when he never thought he was going to be making that kind of money again. Now, not only does he have that check, but he also has a world series and he has a chance to go for two, whether they win it or not. If Jim Crane will have him, I don't think he's stopping after this year. Um, It's a tough question. Really, all you're doing is repurposing the question. You're repurposing the question, is Dusty back next year? Uh, Whatever you say, is he going to catch Sparky? I'm torn. I I really don't know. I I don't have a good feel for it. Because you know what? You and I even talked about this when it was James Click, that at a certain point, you love the opportunity. You love the roster of this team. You love the fact that they are currently in the golden era of this organization, and winning is a top priority and a possibility every night. But at a certain point, as a general manager, you want your guy as the manager. You want to hire your guy as part of your duties. And taking this job when it was James Click and now when it's Dana Brown, that's that's a question you may not be able to address for a couple of years. Click, I think, thought that it was going to be a very short-term, dusty run and that he was going to be able to pick his guy. Don't think he ever thought that Dusty was going to outlive him. Mm-hmm. But now with Dana Brown taking the job, it obviously helps that they seem to have a good relationship. But at a, at a certain point... You wonder, did did Dana take this job thinking, I'm going to hire my own manager here 
pretty quickly. I think I think if he wins it, he's back. I think if he falls short, he's not. That's kind of where, that's where I'm at. How I think how matters. I, I would agree. Yeah, but I just can't imagine a scenario where they lose in the playoffs, don't win at all, and, and Dusty's back. I can. I, I think that if you're you know, you get to the American League Championship Series or the World Series, and you are in a just a dogfight. Mm-hmm. And, you know, a play here or there goes against you, and it's a really hard-fought series, and there aren't any hiccups that were Dusty created from Pawpaw's belly. I think there's a scenario where he can come back. I think that, you know, Click will appreciate the fact that he didn't lose it for us. It was just things happened or they got beat by a better team. To where if he wants to come back, I think Click will have him. I mean, uh, Crane will have him. Probably, there probably would need to be a, like a non- questionable decision like who was the manager that left Pedro Martinez it was a Grady Little yeah when he left Pedro Martinez in the game so long and it's like okay well you you got edged in the playoffs but you made a very controversial decision or how about AJ Hinch's decision where you have your ace maybe it's Fromber maybe it's Verlander but you just make a questionable pitching decision where you might even lose the seventh game of a World Series but a questionable decision everybody's calling for your head adios see you later you're right context absolutely matters I I don't think he's one to ride away in the sunset though I think if he wins it he's going to come back I I don't believe he wants to stop managing think about it Jeremy the fact that even as a player he was a really good player but I don't think he was ever considered a Hall of Fame type player no he's a good player but as a manager he basically as much as because he's in the top 10 now he's going to be in the Hall of Fame someday as a manager but that's a, a debatable topic for a lot of folks you win back to back World Series and you're going to come back trying to win three going, I'm solidifying everything right now. Not only are you climbing and having the chance to climb and catch more guys on the ultimate uh, the career win list, but you have a chance to win three in a row when the last time we saw two in a row was way back in the Yankees at, it, what was it, 99 and 2000? Yeah, three-peat, I think. Yeah, yeah 98, 99, and 2000 or something like that. Yeah, it's but, right around the turn of millennium. Yeah, right, but to say that you are creating a legacy for yourself along with solidifying the dynasty of the Houston Astros – you're also creating the fact that you're going to have an open door to walk right into the Hall of Fame. Yeah, I mean, he's a Hall of Fame manager, and congratulations, Dusty, moving up to seventh sole possession of himself and now just Sparky uh, Anderson in front Well, six others in front of him. Sparky Anderson's the next in front of him. 713-780-ESPN. Uh, where is Joe George today? It's a mystery. His his, disappear- his disappearance is concerning us. I just got a call from Apollo Men's Health. They said he's, is he inter- there? he's interested in semi-glutide, mm-hmm. but he said that uh, the last line he got was 8 to 10 pounds a week he could lose. He's fighting it. That's interesting because I just got a call from Ricky Ford and General Ben and said that he's on a bender. So maybe he's on a bender. Maybe he went weight. from one to the other. He's trying. It's he, possible. If he doesn't ingest food and he's just <laughs> trying to drink and lose weight, he's got the plan. Seven one three seven eight zero three seven seven six. We teased it at the end of last segment. Christian Javier yesterday. Look, he was fine. Right, two runs, four hits, five innings, but he walked three, struck out three. The pitch count got very high in a hurry. Hundred and five pitches for Javier in the five innings yesterday. If I told you you could have that the rest of the year, you could have Christian Javier the rest of the season, because I don't think he is a volume guy. In fact, I don't want him to be a volume guy. I think Javier was trying to be a volume guy early in the year. He was trying to get to seven innings, and it and it diminished his effectiveness. I think Javier is best suited to be a five, six-inning guy and, and emptying the tank quickly as opposed to trying to pitch deep into games like Fromber. If I told you that Christian Javier, every single start, would throw 100, 105 pitches. He's going to last five innings, but he's only going to give up two earned runs. And it might be stressful. He might give up six hits. He might have five walks. He might strike out eight in those five innings. But every single start, the end result is Christian Javier pitches five innings. He gives up two earned runs. Would you take that from Christian Javier every single start? 
I think I would at this point in the season, just simply because of the fact that, look, we endured a playoff run in which none of the starters could get through the fifth inning, and you still found a way to persevere. I think that you know that you have a back end of a bullpen that is capable, as they did even last night, to where there was a little bit of a, a, a skip of one of my heartbeats when I saw Montero coming into the ball game in a one-run game. But I think that's Dusty trying to reintroduce him to high-leverage situations so that he can recreate his really, really trustworthy six, seven, eight, nine guys he had a year ago. Whether that maintains to be it remains to be Montero or not, we'll see. But the bottom line is, Dusty feels confident if a starting pitcher gives him five innings and keeps him in the ball game, the back end of his bullpen, fully capable of taking you the rest of the way. You know you got Fromber; he's a horse. You know Verlander, for the most part, is going to be a horse. You're not going to have to do this every single start with every single single starter and, and tax your bullpen. But if it means for Javier, that's what you got to do because he still throws a lot of pitches, so be it. I think this is an easy answer if you're talking about the postseason because of what you just said because you just turned it over to the bullpen, yep. which has been something that you hang your hat on. I mean, the reason that the Astros won the World Series last year, one of the big reasons they won the World Series last year, is because they could turn it over to a dominant bullpen and shorten games. Because two runs over five innings isn't a great ERA. It's a 360 ERA. That's a middle-of-the-road starting pitcher. But you have it locked in. You have it locked in that you're going to get those two runs given up through five innings, and that's it. So the problem with Javier over his last month or two is that sometimes he has games where he gives up seven runs right off the right off the shoot, right? Now, the old Christian Javier could dominate. He could throw a no-hitter. He could go six innings without giving up a run. He could go seven innings without giving up a hit. So there is a trade-off here. There's a trade-off of, okay, now we know this new Christian Javier where the velo... Now, the velo's back, but the velo during that struggle was down a bit. The arm angle, is there fatigue, blah, 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 blah. I, I would take it. If I had the offer to get two runs, five innings, Christian Javier, every single start because of the bullpen and because I think that the offense is going to be good, uh, I know that they haven't played up to their potential quite yet. They're not clicking on all cylinders quite yet. They've been they've been uh, injured. They haven't been healthy. I would take that from Christian Javier even in the regular season. Uh, Ocho says, my nerves can't take two runs in five innings like yesterday from Javier. Dude gives me ulcers. It's painful to watch. I understand it. But you got it locked in. You got it locked in. Five zero four four would take five innings and two runs, but six innings and two runs would be awesome. You're right, but that's not the question. We're not playing by your rules. We make the rules. We ask the questions here on the Killer Bees. I, I would take it. I thought Javier yesterday was actually pretty good. What, what did you think of yeah, Javier? No, I saw more positives. I, you know what? This is a really good baseball team that they're they're playing with a really good lineup, and so the fact that. Mistakes are going to be capitalized on. We saw Fromber go through that, where if he left anything over the plate, it was meat, and, and, and the Orioles were going to capitalize. And I think that, yeah, he gave up a home run. But for the most part, again, I saw a rise to the fastball. I saw a fastball that was effective. Um, yeah, I, I kind of wish that he would mix in or, or have more of a repertoire sometimes than a two-pitch pitcher. You see he tried to show the change a little bit he did, yesterday? a little bit. He, and I think that that's something I was thinking about while watching that. Next year in the offseason, this coming offseason, I really think he's, whether it's a changeup or a sweeper or something, I think he's going to try to develop a third pitch that he's going to really kind of use in his repertoire more frequently. Mm -hmm. But I think that, look, he's got good enough stuff and he's got fast a fastball that's still above average and the way that it moves, that he's going to continue to get better. I was encouraged by what what I saw. I don't like how many pitches he throws, how deep he goes and counts. You know, the walk, the, the whole walk thing to me and, and just the control thing is still got to be kind of tightened up a little bit. 
But I, I was I was encouraged by what I saw. I, I was too. Seven one three seven eight zero three seven seven six. Two runs, five innings. Christian Javier. Every single start the rest of the year, you're taking it. Uh, also, let's talk about Dusty's bullpen usage yesterday. A very interesting guy came in in the sixth inning, which maybe he's went up on our circle of dust. And also the, the offense yesterday too. I, I think that the offense has room to grow. And look, we didn't lead with it. I know a lot of people have led with this, and this was a topic of uh, conversation yesterday. Not pitch inning for Martin Maldonado with the bases loaded in that game yesterday. What did we make of it? 713-780-3776. Killer Bees on ESPN 97.5 and ESPN 92.5. What would you make of being a millionaire? You'd probably like that, right? Well, I have two ways that you can win a cool million and maybe even more. Because the Circa Million and Circa Survivor are back. Between the two, $14 million in guaranteed prizes and Circa ain't taking a rake. The biggest football contest in Vegas back for their fifth year only at Circa Sports. Head to Circa. Enter in Vegas, the beauty of it, you can play from anywhere. Your couch, work, wherever, because you can play anywhere once you enter in Vegas. The two contests, the first one, the Circa Million Football Contest with $6 million in total prizes. They have quarterly payouts. You get hot the first quarter of the year, you're going to win money. Second quarter, you win money, and you get the drift. 100% payback, too. Again, no rake at Circa. You can't get that anywhere else. Top prize is $1 million guaranteed. It's simple. You pick five teams against the spread weekly, and the winner takes home $1 million. If you're more of a survivor guy, We've all played Survivor Pools. If you have, well, you need to enter the Circus Survivor. Their biggest prize pool yet, $8 million. It's simple. Pick a winner straight up, no spread, and you can win big. If you're the lone survivor, a guaranteed $8 million is yours. That's nuts. Bigger money than ever before. Play today for your share of $14 million in guaranteed prizes. The contests are open now. You don't want to miss out. Enter in Vegas. Play from anywhere. Visit CircusSports.com for details. ESPN 97.5 and 92.5. Dude. I'd be most worried about seeing my seminal vesicles. I like the Florida State seminal vesicles. The Killer Bees. What about the murderous Jays? We've got Joel, Jeremy, and Joe. That's three Jays. Coming to you live from the Veritex Community Bank Studios on ESPN 97.5. It's the Killer Bees and Murderous Jays. That's why John Belmer is uh, filling in. Johnny Radio filling in for uh, Joe George. Mysterious case of why Joe George is not here. The disappearance of Joe George. We're trying to uncover why Joe George is not here. We'll have to. uh, We're working effortlessly at it. John, you're filling in for Joe George. Do you have any, any guesses why Joe George is not here today? Uh, let's do food sickness. Food sickness is probably a good one. It's probably a good one. We all, we all like to eat. Has he, was that the gas station sushi? Did he go try it finally? You no, know, he's soft. He hadn't done it yet. He did, did have the vending machine tuna. He also could have gone to the 20, uh, the 24 hour emergency clinic because of carpal tunnel syndrome from his late night video game antics. Is he a video gamer? Yeah. He waits for the, uh, the little one and the wife to go to bed. And then he says he Man. stays up till one or two in the morning gaming i couldn't imagine doing that little one goes to bed i'm asleep <laughs> like as quickly as i possibly can be uh alex on twitch says joe george soft with load management i heard that joe jo- uh, joe george saw these uh ups truck d- driver salaries did you see this i think joe saw this ups truck driver salary and he's out interviewing as we speak i also think to combat the fact that he wouldn't be hired because of a a very questionable resume that he actually went to uh, what, what's the the place down there on Fannin that sells all the Halloween costumes? 
and he tried to get a hook, a peg leg, and a patch so he could be a porch pirate. So he was stealing the UPS deliveries. <laughs> Why is Joe George not here today? 713-780-3776. How about Dusty's bullpen usage yesterday? Uh, used Rafael Montero. Look, loaded bullpen yesterday. Everybody was available. Maybe not Ryan Presley, but I think Ryan Presley was available because he only threw like 14 pitches the day before. I think everybody was available. I think it was a loaded bullpen for the Astros yesterday. And do you know who had the sixth inning? It was Rafael Montero. Is Rafael Montero moving up the circle of dust in the Astros bullpen? I don't think he's moving up yet, but I think that was a clear indication that Dusty was auditioning him to get back to a role that he once was very much in the middle of. And I think that, again, we talk about with veteran players how Dusty just has a different relationship and a different level of trust no matter what we see and what we think he should do. And I think that was Dusty's way of saying, in his mind, between now and the playoffs, if all goes as planned and Montero keeps throwing like he's thrown for the last month, that his plan is that Montero is going to be one of those four pitchers that represent the back end of the bullpen in playoff games when you're in a one-run or a tied game, or like the situation we laid out with Javier, where if your starter goes five, he, he, he has a clear role in his mind for Montero in the final four innings. Yeah, it might be an auditioning for it because nobody's really winning that job, but it's clear that at least yesterday Montero was the fourth guy because he was lining up sixth, seventh, eighth, ninth, and he went all that way until the Astros busted it open late. He used Montero in the sixth inning. He used Neris in the seventh inning. He used Abreu in the eighth, and he had Presley that was going to go in the ninth until the Astros busted it open uh, with that four-run well, eighth inning. Jeremy, and think about it, too. Everybody's looking at what's happening right now. A year ago, Stanek was mowing people down right now and all year long. But he was doing it like in the sixth inning, though. But but, but, but that's what we're talking about right now, though, at least to get into the sixth inning, the sixth, seventh, eighth, and ninth. Mm -hmm. So the fact of the matter is you can be lights out in the regular season. It could all change in Dusty's mind in in who he feels confident in going into the playoffs. We barely saw Stanek last year. I think that if Montero continues on this run that he's been going on, I think in Dusty's mind, he's one of his guys. Yesterday in the eighth inning. Martin Maldonado walked to the plate. The Astros were leading 3-2. to two. You had runners at first and second and two outs. A lot of people wanted Dusty Baker to pinch hit for Martin Maldonado in that situation. First and second, two down, leading 3-2 to two in the top of the eighth inning. What did you think? Yeah, I, I thought about it. And again, I, I, I keep harping on this, but it, it is unlike any other situation I've ever seen in any teams that I've followed or in following the sport, the way Dusty's loyalties matter. I just felt like there were so many managers as I was watching this unfold that are going, that's a no-brainer. I'm already making, I've already got someone in the cages loosening up, and if that scenario plays itself out and Maldi's starting to get, get to the plate, we're making a change there. And then I thought, but you know what? Dusty's not. Dusty's not because of the fact that every, if you just think back all year long, every single time, Dusty's going to give Maldi more credit than he deserves. Some pitcher's going to pitch his ass off, but yet it starts because Maldi and what he did. Dusty loves him some Maldi, and I just think that that was one of those moments where, and again, maybe part of it was because everybody else in the free world thought, you pinch it for Maldi there, and Dusty goes, watch this. I'm going to scratch my belly and tell you that ain't happening. 
I never even thought of it as an option. Like, I, I personally, myself, I was like, okay, would I pinch hit in this spot? But I never in my wildest imagination thought Dusty would hit for Maldonado in that There's spot. There's no way he would. There's no way that he would because he believes in using Maldi as his defensive guy. And if you have a lead late, you're not going to take out the defensive guy. Quite honestly, I, I wouldn't have pinch hit for Maldonado in that spot either. I, I, I concede that I'm in the minority here, oh my but God. you're... It's been like a storyline across Houston how everybody was adamant. Oh, it's like 90-10. The ratio is maybe even greater than 90-10. It might be 95-5. They wanted everybody to pinch hit. But if you view Maldi as the defensive guy, if you view – and I know that the stats don't back this up, but there's a lot of stats for defensive prowess for a catcher that literally do not exist. So if you believe, and Dusty does, that Maldonado is your better guy to have behind the dish late in a game, calling pitches, seeing relievers through it. Abreu is one of the guys that actually pitches better than Maldonado, and sometimes Sometimes Abreu loses control, command, things like that. Maybe he benefits with Maldi's leadership behind the dish versus Yiner's inexperience behind the dish. I have no problem not pinch hitting Martin Maldonado when you lead late in the game, to be completely honest with you. If if you lead late in the game, I do not mind letting Maldonado hit for himself. Now, if you're down late in the game, if you're trailing 3-2, to two, like two nights ago when the Astros had the bases loaded, two outs in the sixth inning, I would have aggressively used Jiner Diaz. Actually, you couldn't even use Jiner because I think he was in the lineup. But I would have used Singleton in that spot. I would have done it before Dusty Baker did it. Whenever you're traveling in a game, even if it's the sixth or seventh inning, I'm looking for opportunities to pinch in for Maldonado. But if you're leading late in the game, I have no issue with Dusty leaving Maldi in to bat for himself. No, that's a good point, too. I, I think that Dusty still has to be wise no matter how much he's going to be set in his ways. And if you are chasing, I thought even in the eighth inning, and they did, and they did push across a run, but in the eighth inning, I thought there's a chance that you know he's gonna he's gonna do some pinch hitting in the eighth, um, and I and I wouldn't have faulted him at all. But there's been already, but but you know what, Jeremy, on the flip side, there's already been several situations where they were playing from behind this year where Maldi came up in a key situation. He still went with Maldi. Those I mean, are the spots I'm I'm not a fan of. That's where it, it should really get under the, the get to the under the craw of a lot of Astros fans because it's frustrating. But I, I think that one thing that we've come to realize more than anything else, especially this season, if it wasn't evident last season, Dusty's going to Dusty, and it's going to start with Maldi. He is going, I mean, I just think of, and it wasn't even on the no-hitter with Fromber, but it was Maldi. And every time someone does something well, it's Maldi. And sometimes you scratch your head going, how is he complimenting Maldi in this situation? Even if it wasn't like a pitcher's pitching, somehow it had something to do with Maldi again. And I'm going, he just, no, that's one of those guys again. Yeah that he's going to fight tooth and nail for. I, I am aggressive with my usage of pinch hitters for Martin Maldonado. Uh, sixth inning, when you're chasing, like you mentioned, I'm doing it. Dusty wouldn't do it until like the eighth or ninth. I would I would do it in the sixth inning. But I have no problem letting Maldi hit for himself whenever you lead late in the game. And we hear a lot about this Maldi-Diaz conversation. And, and Jose Abreu's not playing today. First pitch, 305. They currently trail 2-1. to one. Uh, Chaz got scratched, too, with a little knee injury. Hopefully he's fine. He said he was fine. Dusty says he's day-to-day, aren't we all? Uh, Jose Abreu apparently went to, the, uh, went to Dusty and said that he has lower back discomfort, which who knows how that's going to play out. Does it get him a, a stint on the 10-day IL? Who, who knows? But whenever you have Abreu healthy, and he's been healthy all year, we shouldn't be having the conversation of Martin Maldonado versus Jainer Diaz. The conversation should be Martin Maldonado or Jose Abreu. That should be the conversation of who's playing that day. And Dusty, you can have free reign on who plays that day. If Martin Maldonado is your catcher that day, 
Well, then Yiner Diaz has to find a way to be in the lineup. I would say at first base over Jose Abreu, maybe you can DH him if you're playing Jordan in left field. The decision should no longer be Maldonado or Diaz. The question that Dusty needs to be asking every day is Martin Maldonado or Jose Abreu? Because mm-hmm. Yiner needs to be a fixture. And he homered again today. We, uh, we've already kind of over the last couple of days been all over this to say and I've been you know more so than you of saying I don't care righty or lefty at this point. yeah the lefty I, for me I'm still okay yeah, with I, I just need Yiner in the lineup every single day the way we said we needed Chaz in the lineup every day previous to that the way we've watched this team day in day out and realize that there is a better option and opportunity for this team to be more offensive minded in the lineups that you put out there and it starts with guys that have pop that have production that are, are capable of doing a lot of things to, to wreak havoc with the bat in their hand. And, I, and I'll tell you this. The other guy that's going to start trying to, you're going to hear this from a fan perspective. You're going to hear a narrative if it continues. But if John Singleton comes on the scene and starts hitting lasers, and his first at-bat today, he had an absolute seed on the first pitch, but he hit it right at the first baseman, you're going to hear John Singleton's name pop up in that conversation, too. I wonder what you do with lefties at first base, though. Because Singleton, a lefty, yeah. you're probably looking to avoid that. Right. Uh, Diaz, you mean you, you're going to put him in the lineup anyways. I probably would, too, to gather more information. Like, if, if Abreu lands on the DL, or the IL, my bad. Like, you have two options, intriguing options, to play first. I prefer Yiner than Singleton, but you can get them both in the lineup if Jordan's playing left field that day, because one can DH. Against lefties, it's an issue because Singleton's a lefty, doesn't hit lefties right. as well. Yanner Diaz does not hit lefties as well, has reverse splits. Like first base, if Abreu lands on the IL with his back, I wonder how they handle first base against lefties. Like I wonder if you see a Greg Kessinger, maybe even a Mauricio Dubon. Which neither one I want to see at first base, especially because that's a power hitting position. That is, uh, you're looking for some thump, whoever's playing that position. You're not getting it from those two guys. And again, this isn't the Mauricio Dubon of the first half of the season. This is the Mauricio Dubon that has cooled off really, really, really quickly here in the second half of the season, and he's not the same hitter. But I need some pop out of the first base position, the corner infielders. I I need to see one of those two guys. If it's Diaz, if it's Singleton, I don't care. But either one of those guys, those guys should be platooning at first base. That's where I would draw the line because this team right now still has work to do to catch the Rangers, and it also has the capability, now that it's healthy, of putting some serious lineups together where they could be very potent offensively, and the time is now. I can't be screwing around with with Kessinger and, and, and Doobie at first base anymore. 713-780-ESPN, HRMP listener line. Poncho says uh, Joe George is out shopping for a flowery straight jacket to send somebody. 713-780-3776, where in the world is Joe George today? Also, football is here. We're going to see the Houston Texans play football today. I've, I've listened and heard an interesting conversation. What does class of the division mean, especially with the AFC South? Like, Jacksonville has the best chance to grab a hold, a stranglehold of the AFC South, but what does it take to be the class of the division, any division? 713-780-3776. Killer Bees on ESPN 97.5 and ESPN 92.5. Football back in our city today, which means you're going to be betting on football. There's no doubt about that. Do you want to bet on football? The answer is yes. Do you want to bet on football and win millions of dollars? The answer is yes. And I have just the contests for you, two of them specifically, the Circa Million and the Circa Survivor. They're back in Vegas only at Circa, fifth year at Circus Sports. Head to Circa, enter in Vegas, and then play from anywhere. Your couch, your work, your wherever. You can play wherever you want. The two contests. The first one I'll tell you about. The Circa Survivor. We've all played Survivor Pools. We love them. We're outstanding at them. You probably won a Survivor Pool or two. But if you win the Circa Survivor Pool... 
you win $8 million. Yes, their biggest prize yet, $8 million. All you have to do is pick a winner each week, straight up, no spread. If you're the lone survivor, a guaranteed $8 million is coming your way. If you want to just go against the spread, you can do that as well. With the Circa Million Football Contest, $6 million in total prizes. This one has quarterly payouts as well. If you have a hot third quarter of the year, you're going to get money. You finish strong, started slow, you're going to win money. And there's no rake at Circa as well. You can't get that anywhere else. The top prize for the Circa Million Football Contest, $1 million. You pick five games against the spread weekly, and the winner takes home a million bucks. Bigger money than ever. You play today for your share of 14 million guaranteed prizes. No rake at Circa Million. The contests are open now. You don't want to miss out. Enter in Las Vegas and play from anywhere your heart desires. Head over to CircaSports.com for more information. ESPN 97.5 and 92.5. Sweet Sassy Molassie. John Stockton says, hey, look at me. I'm a little teapot. I'll run right up your dress. But then Carl Malone says, sweet Sassy Molassie. You are going to pay a lot. Houston, you're live in the hive with the Killer Bees, Joel Blank and Jeremy Branham on ESPN 97.5 and 92.5. Um, Mr. Brostash says that Joe George was on Scott Street last night and made yet again another bad sports take. He took a shot to the head with a fold-up chair. I appreciate the current events. Um, not sure why it had to be Scott Street, though. Yeah, Mr. I don't. Rostash. Yeah, I don't. I don't get that either. I feel he like that's been, some subtle. He shade. could have been illegally parking and docking his his boat, and could have been ended up taking a stray from a chair in the middle exactly. of a, an impromptu brawl. I appreciate the current events reference. I think there's some some subtle racism in Mr. Brostash's comments. I, I don't though there's some that. subtle race, there's some soft racism with what Mr. Brostash said. We don't condone that. Nine five two eight. We condone this, though. Uh, Joe George took Paul Gallant together to see the Barbie movie. Freaking hilarious. Have you seen it? You have two daughters. I, no, my, my wife took my two daughters while we were doing the show. Oh, really? Before school Good timing yeah. by the like, wife. Tuesday morning. <laughs> Great Tuesday timing. morning. And it's, it's matinee pricing for my three-year-old, who I'm sure paid little. To, you know, by the way, the, the biggest takeaway, and this worries the hell out of me, from my three-year-old was, Daddy, Ken took his shirt off. And Ken I saw without a shirt on. And I'm like, what are we doing? Like, I told you this wasn't a kid, for, like, for little kids. Isn't that how the doll comes, though? Doesn't Ken come without a shirt? That I, don't I wouldn't know. know. I don't know why I, I even I, said I, that. I don't know that one. I don't, I don't know why I suggested that. I have no idea. Uh, 713780, let's change the topic as quickly yeah, as possible. Yeah, I don't know about that one. What does the class of the division mean? Uh, this is a, I've heard a lot of people talk about this, specifically with the AFC South, but I think you might have to look at other divisions to maybe quantify what class of the division uh, division means maybe to set a baseline to set some parameters on what it means like the Jags won the division last year they're the favorite to win the division this year they are the most likely team to to grab this division by its collar and be the class of the division what do you think that means what does class of the division mean you have to do what in order to be the class of your division I think you've won multiple division titles I, I think it starts there I mean if you start a level of dominance within the division by winning multiple division titles, then you can start talking about being a team that's the class of the division and setting yourself like a level up. We talk about tiers, like from the draft to other other discussions we have. There's a top tier with draft prospects. Well, there's, if you want to be, 
you know, the, the team that sets the standard in the AFC South, then you win a couple of division titles in a row and you let everybody else you're playing for second unless you kind of upgrade your, your football team. And I think that when it's easy to say that about Jacksonville because regardless of whether they've won multiple division titles or not, the fact is two of the other three teams are having starting rookie quarterbacks this year. So I think that already puts them a leg up. Tennessee... We don't know what they're going to be this year, but we knew it looks like they started falling off and falling off a cliff from where they once were when they might have been the class of the division. So I think it starts with winning a couple division titles, and then it's also based on the landscape of the rest of the teams in your division. I think it I think it takes like three division titles in a row to be the class of the division. Like if you looked around the landscape of the NFL right now, maybe only the Kansas City Chiefs I would I would define as being the class of their said division. Kansas City is one is it eight, eight straight, no, seven, seven straight division titles. That's a class of the division. Absolutely. They have a strangle. They've cleared out the division. Yep. They've cleared the division out in the AFC West. Even last year, whenever you had, well, Denver's going to be really good. Chargers are on the up. Uh, the Raiders are coming off the playoff appearance. The Chiefs, they had low, lowest odds they've had in a while to win the Super Bowl. What'd they do? They won the Super Bowl. Like, I look back to the Belichick-Brady Patriots, yep, where like sure. a team just could not get over the hump and take the Patriots' crown of the division for back-to-back seasons. Green I think it Green takes Bay, quite a bit. Green Bay in the NFC North forever and a day was the class of the division because everybody was playing for second. Uh-huh. They were constantly winning. Now, it doesn't mean they were winning Super Bowls, but they were constantly winning the division, and J- Joe will be the first one to tell you that. It, you have to do something like you You have to string together you know, a series of, 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 of winning years where you win the division to be considered the class of a division. If you look at like, you know, with the Steelers and the Ravens the Colts and the Bengals. When they had Manning. Or, yeah. Absolutely. You can before you even start talking about dynasties because they won Super Bowls. You can be the class of your division by just making sure that everybody's playing for second. I think that's what it takes, and I think it's a few years. I, I think it's even more than back to back years. Like if Jacksonville won the division this year by like a game or two, I'm not ready to say that Jacksonville is the class of the division. I, well, that's where I get to the landscape of the rest of the division. If I'm looking at the rest of the division and I know that there was competition, like you said, if you get you win the division by a game. Well, then I don't think you, get, you you justify being the class of the division. But if you win it by a couple games and you've won two in a row now and you realize that both two of the other three teams are basically rebuilding, mm-hmm. now you're talking about a situation where you, you can be the class of the division. Because now you're talking about a level of dominance. Mm-hmm. Like the level of dominance can come from your win back-to-back years by three games each year, or it, be, it can be you've won the division by one game for four years in a row. Right. Like it takes that level of dominance to be the class of the division. Uh, I don't think Jacksonville's there yet. In fact, I look around the landscape of the NFL, I think there's only the Chiefs. Like the AFC East. Like the Bills are the best team in the East, but have they dominated the AFC East enough to be that class of that division? Well, they've won multiple Maybe. division titles, right? I think it's I think it's borderline with Buffalo. Isn't it three or four years now? I don't think it's that much. I think there might have been a year where they finished second. To who? Would it have been the, the year that they got to the? Let's see. I think they've won. At they've least won three. three. Yeah, they've three. won three in a row. So Buffalo, class of the AFC East. That's uh, fine. Well, it, That's fine. They're the class of the AFC East coming in. But now you realize whether, you know, you say, well, Miami's loaded if Tua stays healthy. Or you say, hey, yeah, I believe in Aaron Rodgers being the missing link to the Jets who have a really good roster. Yeah, but they're still the, they're the, they're the class coming in. in. Right. So the Bills, right. the, the, the Bills are the class of the division of the AFC East. Now, Philadelphia wins the, uh, the, uh, the NFC East again. Right. Let's go, let's go through the AFCs first. Okay. So Kansas City and Buffalo, let's, let's, let's give them the title of class of the division. AFC North, I think there's been too much variance. I think there's been too no much doubt. randomness. Cincinnati no won it last year, but Pittsburgh's been in the mix. Cleveland eh, hadn't really been in the mix, but probably should be. Baltimore's very much been in the mix. There's no class. 
class of the AFC North, right? No, no, no hesitation saying that. No, that there's uh-uh. no dominance there. Uh, AFC South, we already talked about. Now, Cincinnati does have back to back division titles, but in terms of like dominance of the division, I can't quite give them that. NFC East, Philadelphia won it last year by two games over the Cowboys. That's but, I said it. but the year before, the Cowboys won the division, and it was just. A, it, but it was a crap show. I think that if Philadelphia walks away with it, well, again, the Cowboys it, won it with twelve games. Oh, it was two. Was it two years ago? Where everybody? Was, I think you're thinking the 2021 season. Yeah. Whenever they were all like everybody eight, was almost nine, under seven, 500 nine. or yeah, hovering at Commanders 500. won it at seven yeah. and nine. Yep. I I think that if Philadelphia wins it by multiple games against this again this year, especially because the Cowboys are improved. Then maybe we can talk about that, but I think because it's been it's been the worst division in football turned into one of the better divisions in football. But we're still waiting to see the rest of the teams in the division, and we're seeing if the Eagles can do what they did a year ago. I don't think there's a class in that division yet. I think we would look at the NFC West, and because of last year, San Francisco just running through that division, winning four winning by uh, four games over Seattle. We would probably maybe some people would claim that they're the class of that division. That was their first division title since 2019, though. That was their only division title in the last three years. I can't say that they're the class of the division. Now, if they dominate the division this year, I think next year at this time we're saying, yeah, San Fran, class of that division. Yeah, we've got a couple of divisions that are close, right? I mean, we've got a couple where if it's a prove-it season, but I think with Philadelphia and San Francisco, if they do what they've done recently, there's no reason not to say that they're the class of their division. Philly wins the division by like three games. San Fran wins the division by about three games. I think they're class of division. I think Cincinnati, if they win the division for the third year in a row, they can claim that division. Well, like you said, if it's it's two, if the division looks weak, but if it's three straight, if it's three straight, no matter how you get there, Buffalo wins another one. They're still the class of the East. Kansas City wins another one. They're still a class of the West. I don't think Jacksonville can do anything where I'm giving Jacksonville the class of the AFC South just yet. And then I think that the NFC North, too. Like, Minnesota won it last year. They didn't win it the year before. Like, that one's been too random. That one's been – too many teams have won that one in recent memory. Well, I mean, Rodgers is gone. And Rodgers is gone. If Rodgers was But even was there, with Rodgers last year, they lost the division by five games. But he was terrible. And he was hurt. But, I mean, the Vikings – I think we dismissed the, the season were the Vikings, a good team. Had. They the Vikings won had a really good, They had a really good regular season last year. There's yeah. no doubt about it. But I think that overall, if you've talked about the class of the NFC North for the last ten years – I mean, everybody was basically playing for second almost every single year. Yeah, yeah. The Vikings changed that last year for a combination of things that, that you alluded to. And then, I, I'm sorry, but anybody who wins the division with a less than 500 record does right. not get the nope. opportunity uh-huh. to take the class of the division. So, Tampa Bay, sorry about it. You might have won the Super Bowl at Brady. You might have even won the division last year. But you go 8-9, and nine, you're not the class of the division. Sorry about it, Brady. Bucks. Whatever. 713-780-ESPN. Football tonight. C.J. Stroud in a Texans uniform. We'll get into later what we most want to see from the Texans tonight. But what position battles are going on right now? Our friend D.J. Enemy, who's going to be joining us a little bit later, I think next week, he lists his position battle. I think ours is going to be a little bit different. It's the Killer Bees on ESPN 97.5, ESPN 92.5. ESPN 97.5 and 92.5. Watch out for that foot bone. I would like to rear up and jackknife my legs and kick you both in the jaw with my foot bone. 